Okay, so Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 16. The summer that I finished third grade and my sister finished kindergarten, our family moved from our cozy house in the Poconos an hour north onto a piece of land near Tunkhannock, Pennsylvania. And when I say a piece of land, I mean we moved on to a piece of land. There was no house there. The four of us moved into a tent while my dad worked hard to finish laying the foundations and then build the, the block basement of the new house. Why? Why would a family of four with two fairly young children leave a comfortable home to move into a tent? I mean, it seems kind of crazy. It was kind of crazy. Well, the answer is that my parents were looking forward to a house and a life that was much better than what we had had before. And so they were willing to endure, as they say, short-term pain for long-term gain. And that's what today's passage is about. It's about trading in foundations for tent pegs. Need to straighten out the wires with these tent pegs. But trading foundations for tent pegs. Trading foundations. Foundations uh, uh, means training what seems sure and lasting and what is familiar and comfortable for, for tent pegs, for what to humanize is vulnerable and precarious and uncomfortable and downwardly mobile. Why? In order that in the long run to gain something so much better. Better foundations, a more lasting and secure life than the one we've led behind. One that we can't see yet, but by faith we believe it exists and that it's worth seeking after. This is the story, as Sam shared this morning, of every immigrant who comes to America, the land of opportunity, in most cases searching for a better life. It's the story of every pioneer who left the settled East Coast to make their fortune on the wilds of the Western frontier. It's the story of every athlete who passes up college or other job opportunities to get drafted in hopes of getting a chance to one day play in the big leagues. Of course, all of these dreams of a better life are far from certain. They're often big gambles. They're big risks. But the author of Hebrews is telling us in today's passage that we have a far more certain option for our future promised to us by a far more trustworthy God. Welcome back to the Hall of Heroes, Heroes of Faith. We began our tour of this hall last Sunday. We looked at Abel. We looked at Enoch and Noah. And remember that the author of Hebrews is seeking to inspire us and to strengthen and encourage and to motivate us to be people of faith. As the author told us right before we stepped into the hall, back in chapter 10, verse 39, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. This is a word of identity for us. If we are followers of Jesus, then we belong 
to a people of faith. A people who don't shrink back or fall away, but who remain faithful even through hard times. Why? Because our eye is on the prize that that is worth any short-term sacrifices that we might have to endure in the meantime. And so to inspire us to be this kind of people, the author of Hebrews invites us into this hall and, and tells us the stories of many of our people of faith who have gone before us. And today we're going to look at two more such heroes, a couple named Abraham and Sarah. Let's remember their story. Now, when I was preparing for this sermon, somehow, even though we're reading all the way through verse 22, I only actually looked through verse 16. Just an oversight on my part, but also more than enough material for us to work with. So uh, just forgive me that I, I didn't also... You know, if you give me another 20 minutes, we could talk about those last verses. But I think we'll just leave it at verse 16. Abraham, Sarah, and their family had lived in Babylon, where they had worshipped pagan gods, likely the moon god, among others. And they had family there. They had a life there. It was home. But then God, the true God, the creator of heaven and earth, showed up and made Abraham an offer. Actually, it was more of a command and a call than an offer. Leave all this, God said. Leave your family, leave your culture, your people, your land, all that's familiar, and take your wife and go to an unfamiliar foreign land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham and his wife Sarah, they went. God led Abraham, Sarah, and and their family, uh, their household, to, to a new land, the land of Canaan, and said, one day, all this land will be yours. It will belong to you. And I'll make you, a childless couple, into a mighty nation who will dwell and inhabit this land. And through your posterity, all nations will be blessed. Now, one thing we need to know about people in Abraham's day is this. Like us today, they wanted their life to count for something. And they wanted a life of prosperity. But back then, there were no nice suburban homes. There were no luxury SUVs. There were no career track Fortune 500 positions. There were no Caribbean vacations to pursue. So for them, the ideal life was not so much a rich life or a famous life as it was a life where you had a large family and they uh, would carry on your name and your legacy with honor. And they would remember you after you were gone. And so what God is offering Abraham and Sarah here is beyond their wildest dreams for for them and their culture. To be parents of a whole nation who will remember and honor your name forever as we still remember it today. And so Hebrews tells us in verse 8, by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, 
like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, Abraham left his security, left his comfort, left what he knew, left what he valued to go somewhere he didn't know, to receive something he couldn't see yet, but that he believed would be better. Wow, what a choice. Like my family moving into a tent or immigrants coming to a new world or pioneers heading west to forge a new life out of the, the, um, can't remember it, prairies, (laughs) frontier, that's it. Or like athletes hoping to make it to the big leagues. By faith, Abraham and Sarah traded in their foundations for tent pegs. Abraham and Sarah took this risk. They made this sacrifice. Why? God had promised them something so much better, new and better foundations. Verse 11, and they considered him faithful who had made the promise. Why would you risk your life? Why would you risk what you value for for something you can't see? Why would you put your faith in someone offering you all this and making you promises? Answer, because you believe that the one making these promises is trustworthy and faithful. That that he isn't like a Bernie Madoff or a snake oil salesman. No, you believe that you can trust him. So question, do you believe that God is trustworthy? Do you believe that God is faithful? The way to answer that question is, isn't to use your brain and think if that statement is true. It's rather to look at your life and the choices you have made and are making and what you prioritize and what you've put um, in place to ensure your own security. That will tell you if you really believe that God is trustworthy. What risks have you taken for God and for God's kingdom? What sacrifices have you made? What have you given up in the short term because by faith you're looking forward to something so much better in the long term? What foundation have you traded in in exchange for the tent pegs God is offering you? That's what will tell you if you have faith. And if you really believe God is trustworthy, your life will tell you, your choices will tell you, your bank account will tell you, your financial portfolio, your resume, your lifestyle will tell you if you have faith. Well, back to Abraham and Sarah in verse 9, by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Abraham and Sarah, again, they left their home, their family, their culture, their people, and they lived in tents. Tents are temporary, right? A tent peg, it goes down maybe 10 inches, 
or so uh, into the ground, a strong wind might be able to pull it out. It's nothing like a foundation dug down deep, made of solid, enduring rock, stone, concrete. Abraham and Sarah, living in tents, were strangers in a foreign country, feeling like they didn't belong, like they weren't really at home, feeling vulnerable, feeling not settled. Why? Verse 10, because Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He and Sarah were looking forward to a city, a place with foundations that were solid and lasting and dependable. A place whose designer, whose architect, and whose builder is God. Is that what you're looking forward to? How does it show in your life? How does it turn up in your life decisions, in your priorities, in your lifestyle? Verse 13 and following describe further what a life of faith looks like. These heroes of faith, we read, only saw the things promised and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God where he has prepared a city for them. Just a word about this word heavenly in verse 14. People who say such things are looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Heavenly here doesn't mean in heaven, but rather it means from heaven. A country, a city, not in heaven, but from heaven, designed by God, built by God on the future heavens and earth. A better future on a remade, transformed, new earth. And so to take the popular hymn, this world is not my home, it might be better to say, this world is not my home yet. Because our goal isn't to escape this earth for a new home up in heaven. That's Greek Platonism. That's not biblical Christianity. Rather, our goal is to get from this present earth, fallen, decayed, full of brokenness and evil, to a future earth on which all things will be made new. In other words, what the people of faith in this passage are looking forward to isn't a vertical upgrade moving from earth down here to heaven up there. It's rather a horizontal upgrade moving from this present age and this present life to the future age and life where all is redeemed and transformed and God dwells with us in a new heavens and a new earth forever. That's what Abraham and Sarah and other people of faith are looking forward to, even though maybe they couldn't see it as fully as we can see it who have the New Testament. They were seeking to move from their present existence, which was temporary, where they were foreigners and strangers, to a better future that God has promised, that has deep, solid foundations built for us by God himself. 
And so if we really have faith and really believe God is faithful, we will live that way. We will live a tent peg lifestyle. Like we're foreigners, like we're exiles in this life. Because we're anticipating and we're waiting for a better, more lasting life whose foundations are built by God. Our daughter, Sarah, recently left for college near Vancouver, Canada. All the way across the continent, across the U.S.-Canadian border, a long airplane ride away. And once Sarah had made the decision to go to this school, she knew that all she was going to be able to bring with her as she was packing for school had to fit in two suitcases. Her future, at least for the foreseeable future, lay not here in New York, but on the other end of a two-suitcase plane flight. And this future began to change her life and her choices long before she arrived in Canada. My sister was giving away a, a great pair of vintage stereo speakers. And Sarah loves music, but she didn't take the speakers. Sarah's a planner. Under normal circumstances, she would have ordered her first semester's textbooks well ahead of time. But she didn't because she couldn't have her books shipped here before she left. Sarah needed a new warm winter coat. She picked the one that was advertised as packable. When we're looking forward to a new life and a new home in the future, we start to live like it now with an eye to that future. Again, in what way does, does your life and my life do our choices, do the way we spend our time and money, how do they reflect the fact that we are strangers and aliens in this present life and we are looking for a permanent place where we will be at home in the future? In what way are you and I living a tent peg lifestyle? If we have faith, we will be increasingly living this way as we look forward to the better foundations, the better country, the better city that is to come. There's also a second aspect of faith that the author of Hebrews highlights as, as they draw our attention to the story and the example of, of Abraham and Sarah, these two heroes of faith. And this has to do with trusting and experiencing God's power in our weakness and God's life bursting forth from our dead places. Our weakness and God's power. Our dead places and how God can bring life out of those when we have faith. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. She was unable to conceive. After years and years of trying, she was still not a mother. Something she longed for with every fiber of her being. Time passed. Menopause set in. The window for having a child closed. Decades went by. Sarah turned 60. She turned 70. 80. 90. 
Meanwhile, Abraham was even older, 10 years older than his wife, 100 years old. Now, people seemed to live a long time back then, but not that much longer. By the time of Abraham, maybe 120 years at the very most. So by any account, Abraham is a very old man at this point. Hebrews says in verse 12 that by this time he was as good as dead, which I think in this context is a euphemism, a modest way of saying he's impotent. He can't perform in the bedroom anymore, and Viagra has not been invented yet. He and Sarah have long passed the age where those body parts are working. Physical intimacy is not something that's a part of their relationship anymore. The the Old Testament is much more forthright about these things than we tend to be in church today. So we just have to go with it. Sarah's womb is dead. Abraham's reproductive parts are dead. They, They haven't been able to for years. Yet, that's not the end of the story. In fact, that's exactly the point when God steps in into that place of weakness, into that place of death. God speaks to Abraham and says, get back in the bedroom. Do again the thing you're not able to do. Because I have a promise for you. You can again. You are going to have a child, you and Sarah. Sarah is going to conceive and give birth. I know you can't. I know you can't. But out of your weakness, out of the deadness of your body, when you put your faith in me and you try in faith, I will make you able. And they did. Somehow. In miracle of miracles, Sarah gets pregnant and Isaac is born. And from Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, later come Jacob and his 12 sons, and eventually a mighty nation, too numerous to count. As many as the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore. Abraham and Sarah never got to see the the promise fully fulfilled, right? But when they held baby Isaac, they held a tangible down payment of that promise and proof that God can bring life out of our dead places. A miracle child. And God's been doing that ever since. Bringing life out of dead places, making his power perfect in our weakness. When we come to the end of ourselves and we can't anymore, God steps in and does the impossible, bringing new life and abundant life. I've experienced this in many ways in my life. You know, often when when I preach God's word, the the sermons I think are the worst ones, the ones that aren't that interesting, they're not that creative, they're not that inspired. It seems invariably, it seems invariably that these are the ones that you tell me struck home with with the greatest impact. (laughs) It's God's power. In my weakness. It's his word, not my words. 
in my relationships with, with others, especially with my wife, Anne, close relationships have a way of exposing the dark parts of our hearts, right? Our, our selfishness, our rough edges. And, and when someone like a spouse pushes our buttons, we, we tend to react be, before we can even think how we should react. And, and there have been areas of, of darkness, of ugliness in my heart and in my character over the years exposed that I just can't seem to change. Many of them over the years, my pride, my uh, wanting to be right all the time, my temptation to judge, my selfish not wanting my life to be inconvenienced, or my peace to be disturbed. Those last ones especially got exposed when we had children, right? <laughs> For those of you who've had children. Well, well, each of these things in my heart got surfaced along the way. And, and guess what? I, I felt like I couldn't do anything to change them, though I tried. When I got poked in these areas, I couldn't make myself react in a less selfish way, the way I knew I should react. But my heart didn't want to. But guess what? When I brought it to God and I said, God, okay, I see that selfishness, that pride, that ugliness in my heart. It, it's wrong. I know it's sinful. I'm sorry, but I feel powerless to change it. Please, you change it. Change me. I'll keep trying to grow in these areas, but I need you to change my heart so I can. And guess what? In each case, God has or is changing my heart about the things or in those ways. Sometimes dramatically, more often slowly. I'm still in progress, but I'm making progress by faith. In God's power, not my own. God's power to bring new life out of my dead places. That's the kind of God that we serve. The kind of God who brings new life and abundance out of death and who works his power in our weakness to do the impossible, to bring something good and living out of what's dead and impossible. Sarah and Abraham experienced it. And by faith, we get to experience it as well. How about you? Have you experienced it? Where are the places of weakness? Where are the dead places in your life? Places where you've reached the end of your strength and your ability. The places where change or new life seems impossible. Have you sought out God and have you searched the scriptures to see if God has made any promises about those areas? Have you asked God to be faithful to those promises? And have you trusted God with those promises? Well, in conclusion, what do Abraham and Sarah teach us about a life of faith? Well, that this life of faith is both vulnerable and precarious, that it's a tent peg life. It involves struggle and suffering. And yet in our weakness, God's power is at work amidst those tent pegs, bringing life out of death. All of this is uh, beautifully illustrated in the life of a woman named Lois Seacrest. 
1927, when she was 15 years old, Lois promised God she'd go overseas as a missionary to help the needy. In preparation, she went to Bible school. But after graduation, she never actually followed through. Instead, she fell in love with a handsome man, and despite the fact that he was not a Christian and his life was not headed the direction her life was heading, and the fact that he had a drinking problem, at age 23, she married him anyway. She idealistically thought she could convert him, help him, fix him. And actually she did, or, or God did. But it wasn't until many, many years later, years for Lois of untold trouble and suffering. Her husband, years later, died soon after his conversion And by this time, Lois was 76 years old. This was now 1988. And believe it or not, after her husband's death, Lois's childhood desire to be a missionary returned. But she dismissed it. After all, she was was a widow. She was 76. She recounted, I said, Lord, I'm too old to go now. I can't do this. But with time, this great-grandmother experienced a growing determination to fulfill this unforgotten promise. Put up the slide if you don't mind, Ben. So in 1999, Lois Prater, her married name, 87 years old, became the unlikely builder of an orphanage in the Philippines. Home to 35 kids, each with a heartbreaking story of abuse and neglect and deprivation, who now each live in a warm environment of love and safety. They call the woman who oversees this house Lola, uh, or Lois. They call her Lola, which in Tagalog is grandma, if I understand it correctly. Lois built it all without taking a loan, and because of her age, without the support of any church or mission agency. To build and run the orphanage, she relied by faith solely on private donations. And she finally died in 2013 at the age of 100. Back in 2018, I checked the website. It hasn't been updated since then. But her orphanage, King's Garden Children's Home, lives on, best I can tell. When asked to sum up what this life was like for her, she said, I serve a mighty God. He is in control. I feel I'm not talented enough to do any of this, but God enables me. My responsibility is to do what I can. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the light of who you are refracted through the lives of Abraham and Sarah and others who we saw last week and others who we'll see again next week and the week after. I pray that you would warm and encourage our hearts to look at you afresh, to open our hearts, to see that you're trustworthy and to step out with our tent pegs in our weakness for you to accomplish what you want to do with our lives, to make us part of the blessing of all nations that you promised Abraham he would begin. Um, Give us the faith to step more fully into that calling. Amen.